You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not break your oath. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Good morning to you on this Easter morning where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are going to dive right into the scriptures right now. So I'm going to ask you, if you have Bibles with you, uh, to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll be thinking, wait, 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 wait a second. What? Why are we doing a Sermon on the Mount message on Easter Sunday? Well, when you understand that the person who speaks the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus. And when you begin to see, as we're going to notice in the text today, that much of what Jesus says in the part of the text we're reading today is reflected in what Jesus does on Thursday and Friday and ultimately Sunday. You will see this portion of the text of Sermon on the Mount in a different light from here forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this from a, from a little bit of Peter's perspective the Apostle Peter, as if this was Saturday night. So keep in mind that on Saturday night, what you have is Peter is licking his wounds a little bit. He's looking back over the previous two days, wondering what has gone wrong. For three years, Simon Peter has been following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, hearing every message he ever spoke, seeing all of the various healings and miracles that he did, not the least of which was just a few days before when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave himself. But then to recollect the final moments between Peter and Jesus. So Peter might be on his bed on this Saturday night wondering what's going to become of the movement. For three years, they were following after the most popular speaker in their lifetime and ever before, seeing masses of people come to hear him, serving, especially when the crowd needed fed. All those memories are rushing back to him, but nothing more greatly than Thursday night. It began with... Jesus making a statement that a new command I give you. That's where the term mandi comes from. It means a new command. A new command I give you. You are to love one another. This love was about to be manifested in, in a very unique way when Jesus decides to show the fullest extent of his love by getting up from the table taking off his outer coat, wrapping a towel around his waist, and washing their feet, as a slave would have done 
Again, all of this so that Jesus could show them the fullest extent of his love. So as Peter's remembering that moment that he's been charged to love, I mean, that was the command they were given. That Here it is. After three years of journeying with him, his final command is love one another. You should be known as people who love. That will be the journey and the message of this movement. How strange it was. I mean, Peter was the one that rejected Jesus washing his feet. Not my feet, Jesus. I should be washing yours. But Jesus insisted. Again, there was something to be taught here. Shortly after this, can you believe this? That the disciples once again had the discussion and argument who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine? They're having this discussion, not only after Jesus has washed their feet, but even after he had done the first ever communion. The apostles clearly hadn't captured fully the moment that was before them. Jesus was showing love. They continued to show pride. Peter has to be ashamed and embarrassed by the behavior of the whole. Thinking if we had known that he was going to die within hours of that, why would we have such an argument before him? And then now that I look back and I think of that moment where he's washing our feet, he's showing great humility. He's the greatest in the room. And he washes our feet. We argue over who's greater. How embarrassing. Peter then goes back further in time, thinking through all the things that he has heard Jesus teach, trying to make sense. Have I missed something? Have I missed something that he chose to die yesterday? One of the first sermons Peter ever heard would be the Sermon on the Mount. It was early on in the three-year journey. We know that in one part of the text, he comes to this statement about loving your enemies. Let's look in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. Because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing? As you begin to walk through what happened on Thursday night into Friday. Love your enemy. Jesus was showing a tremendous amount of love at the table to have humbled himself to a place of washing the disciples' feet. If you recall that after they left that table, it says they got up and they were going to go to a place they often gathered to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. And while en route, they were singing hymns. 
They get to the garden. Jesus says, stay here, and I'm going to go over there to pray. But watch, keep watch as we pray. Much is written about those prayers in the book of John. But there was something profound that they all got to observe when they would wake up from their slumber. That the intensity of Jesus' prayer was such that he began to sweat droplets of blood. There was an intensity to Jesus this night that they had never seen before. Peter met him at that intensity. Because keep in mind, Jesus said, uh, there is a betrayer among us earlier in the evening. And Peter said, ah, it's not me. It's not me. I will go to the death for you. And that's where Jesus tells him, oh, but you will actually deny me three times before the morning rooster crows. Hmm. That's probably playing over in Peter's mind as well on Saturday night. That Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the life and heart of Peter. But meanwhile, Jesus is intensely praying. Then the soldiers show up. They come into the garden. They interrupt the spirit of the moment. Peter draws his sword and is ready to defend to the death, just as he said he would. He slashes at one of the guards named Malchus, cutting off his ear. But Jesus stops him and rebukes him, but then turns his back on Peter and turns his face towards the soldier. And what does Jesus do? He bends over, picks up the ear that had been cut off, places it back on Malchus's head, and heals him. Peter's recollecting this statement, possibly from early in his career with Jesus. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. This is something that is not typical. I mean, after all, when you know there's an enemy, retaliation is the first impulse. This kind of love means you're truly caring for them as if they were your best friend. And Jesus showed care for the enemy over for the vengeance of his friend Peter. But then it probably hits the mind of Peter at this moment where he remembers that right after saying, you've heard it said that you're to hate your enemies and love your neighbors, but I tell you to love those enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. To which his mind would go immediately to Friday. Jesus had already been scourged significantly. 39 times his back and body had been ripped open by the cat of nine tails. He had been beaten with rods. He had had his beard pulled out. He had had a crown of thorns put on his head to mock him as a king. But then it says they beat even that with rods. They mocked him ruthlessly. Then they made him carry that cross up to Golgotha. Nailing him to a piece of wood. 
excruciating pain beyond ever experienced. The cross is brought up to a standing position. The mockery does not relent. People are throwing insults at him left and right. And then Jesus says something that doesn't seem possible. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who is Jesus' mind on in this moment? Is it on his mother and the other woman and one of the apostles that were there waiting and watching? Or was his compassion in his heart upon those who were mocking him? You see, Jesus was dying for them. He prayed for those who persecuted them, just as he had said three years before. And it had its impact. Because when Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain was torn in two in the temple, of all people, the one that oversaw the scourging, the centurion soldier, says, surely, He was the Son of God. Surely he was the Son of God. Because he had watched many crucifixions. He had overseen many crucifixions. This was not his first rodeo. But no one had ever died for the sake of compassion of those around them. While there were insults and beatings that had been done upon him, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That changed the heart of the most ruthless soldier. To which Peter then is, forgive me. My heart is cruel. Forgive me at running at the first sign of trouble. Because at this moment, here it is. Jesus is staying the course, staying the mission, staying on the cross, and then communicating love at his final breath. Love for those who are actually harming him. Yet Peter, who's thinking, Jesus didn't have my back in the garden. He cared more about that soldier. Is now licking his wounds because he realizes what he had done. You see, later, after Jesus had been arrested, Peter, indeed, denied Jesus three times. Ironically, of all things, it was a 14-year-old young girl that said, aren't you one of his? At the mere threat of a 14-year-old daughter of Israel, Peter no longer could wield a sword. He denied Jesus. Then another person called him out for his accent. Surely, as a Galilean, you must have been with them. And then another person says, I know he was with them. Peter, all three times, saying, I do not know him. But here's a moment we often look past. When Peter denied Jesus that third time, Who looked at Peter right in the eyes? Go ahead and say it out loud. Jesus did. 
could you imagine that after having bragged at the table in front of your peers, oh, I'll go to the death for you, and then Jesus rebukes you in the garden when you wield the sword, and then a 14-year-old girl causes you to wimp out on him, not just once, not twice, but three times, then the final moment of exchange between Peter and Jesus before Jesus dies is at the point of the greatest shame in Peter's life when Jesus looks at him and says nothing. For two days now, Peter has to remember the moment of the piercing look of Jesus. He's now realizing, as you continue on in the text, Jesus' actions of love for the soldier, not just his apostles, for his mother and friends that were at the cross, but not just them, but also all the mockers that were surrounding the cross. That Jesus indeed was dying for all people, righteous and unrighteous. When you go back to the text, it says that God causes his son to rise on both the evil and the good. And he sends rain for both the righteous and the unrighteous. Peter would have to acknowledge that he himself was not righteous when he was selected to become one of the twelve. If you know anything, is that he was actually pompous and cynical the first time he and Jesus meets. Peter's out in his boat doing what fishermen do, but he had had a bad night, caught nothing. If you know anything about what being the expert fisherman is pretty much like he knows nothing of what he just asked us to do. There's nothing. But I'll go out there to prove my point. So he goes back out, throws a net on the other side. And if you know the story, the nets were full. So full they began to tear. He brings them in. And he comes before Jesus and he says, My God, my God, I am a sinner. You see, Peter learned a valuable lesson early on in this journey, and even so more in this point on that weekend. That God does not show love only to those who love him, but God shows love to all. What does it say? When Jesus said this, you finish it. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't come to the cross clean so that we would be accepted and found worthy. We come to the cross to get clean. That's the truth of the gospel. None of us can be found righteous before coming to Jesus. We come to Jesus to be made righteous. So that he can do his work in us. And Peter all too, know, too well knows in this moment. He is not a righteous man. And he knows that the love of Christ that he exemplified on Thursday and on Friday. Where he loved the enemies. 
as much as he loved those who were following him. And he prayed for his enemies, even when they were hurling insults at him. Peter acknowledges he is not perfect. Jesus concludes this text in the Sermon on the Mount saying, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, which basically means perfect love goes way beyond the love that you and I are more capable of showing. You see, we're good at showing love to those who love us back. We're capable of showing honor to someone who will honor us back. Jesus used in the text, he said, tax collectors and pagans, that that was the lowest in their eyes, even know how to love the way we love. But the perfect kind of love that Jesus was putting on display on the cross goes way beyond the love that we typically show. It was perfect. He died for the righteous and the unrighteous. He died for the loving and the unloving. He died for the pagan. He died for the tax collector. He died for Peter, and he died for you and I. He loved us before we ever loved him. He's making us clean, even though we came to him unclean. That must have been a restless night of sleep. Because Jesus said something really strange in that final week in Jerusalem. A couple of times he mentioned, I've come to die, but on the third day I will rise. Peter is awakened and alerted by the sound of a woman's voice saying, The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. It's Mary Magdalene. She's out of breath. She comes into the room and she tells him, an angel told me he has risen. There was some level of skepticism still there as some thought maybe perhaps the body had been stolen. But Peter, not Peter, he ran to the tomb, was the first to get there, shows up and discovers indeed it is empty. A message had been given to the disciples that if they were to go to Galilee, back where they were all from, to go back to Galilee and Jesus would meet them there. So now they're all filled with wonder, wondering what it is that has happened because some of them had seen Jesus and others of them had not. But for Peter, he's going back home for the first time in months. But he's wondering, What's that encounter going to look like when I see Jesus face to face for the first time? What's it going to look like? Will he shame me? Will he rebuke me? Will he call me out in front of my peers? Will he accept me? Will he embrace me? Peter's excited, but he's also filled with fear. What do you do when you're all tied up in knots and you're a fisherman? You go fishing. So Peter finally gets to pick up the nets once again. He goes out into the, in the Sea of Galilee and he's fishing and he has another lousy night. The morning breaks. 
They start making their way to shore. And then a voice calls out from the shorelines. Go back out. Throw it on the other side. Eyes look around in the boats like, I've heard this before. Let's do it. They throw their nets on the other side. And it happens again. This time, Peter lets the fish be drawn into the boat by the others. Peter does a forest gump, jumps out of the boat, and starts swimming to shore. Swims as hard as he can, comes up to the shoreline, and sees Jesus with a stick playing with embers in the fire because he's making breakfast. Peter stops short of embracing him, wondering what words are going to come out of his mouth because this is a moment just between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter responds, Jesus, I do love you. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? I do love you. Jesus asks a third time, do you love me? To which then Peter was hurt by being asked three times. And each time, Jesus was telling him to take care of the sheep. Because Jesus knows his time on earth is about to conclude, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. But Peter is going to be a part of the leadership of the movement that is going to go forward. And this movement is with the charge that Jesus gave. A new command I give you. You are to love one another. And Jesus defined for them, if they hadn't remembered from the Sermon on the Mount, that loving one another is to love all, even the ones that are going to kill you. Because all but one of the apostles were going to give their life for the cause. Peter's heart was won over by a crimson love, a love that flowed down by the blood of Christ, that loved on him even when he was imperfect, Loved on him even when he was in a bad place. And loved on those who were angry at the mere thought that Jesus would refer to himself as the Son of God. Jesus loved on them all. But because that love loved even the enemy as much as the neighbor, and because of that love expressed love towards those who were even persecuting, hearts were changed. Peter's heart is now restored. The dead bones that were inside of him are now full of life. And they were going to bring a message to a people in the book of Acts where people that have been dead since they were born are now coming to life because they realize that God had manifested his full love in Jesus Christ. That which was not alive to God has become alive. That which was not, had no life now has purpose in life. And that is the message of the Messiah, the Son of God, the ultimate Lamb of God, that you and I now have purpose and opportunity to live out a life that God intended from the beginning, a life of love that changes hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, I acknowledge 
that I was not worthy of your sacrifice and your love. None of us here are. But you went to the fullest end to show the fullest extent of your love by not only loving those who loved you and loved you back, but you loved those who despised you. This was all part of the mission of the Father. Forgive us of being so callous that we only offer love to those who will love us back. Help us to see through your lens that when we love on those who, re, who persecute us, who despise us, that it communicates something that is different from the rest of the world. It's a divine love, a perfect love, a crimson love. So in this moment, as we begin to celebrate and join those who in the time, time zones that have gone before us and in the time zones that come after us, in celebration, that wave across the world, acknowledging that we serve and worship a risen Lord. That we do so out of the knowledge that love came down. And as a result, we have come alive. So may our hearts rejoice along with the angels in this moment. May you smile as your church celebrates that special moment that forever defeated the sins of the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? I search the
There ain't no way 
Worthy of our praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy of our praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the disappointed to have to come up here at this moment. I'd much rather have them keep going. It, uh, you know, in this moment, I, for those of you that came in that don't know Jesus, let me explain something to you. When you've experienced the life-changing work of Jesus Christ, then when you discuss and talk about and receive once anew and again what he did to make that happen, of course we're going to celebrate. Of course we're going to celebrate. And that's what we were doing here. So just be thankful that we didn't do as King David did, where he took off all his clothes and started dancing in the street. <laughs> having said that, if you came into this room not having a relationship with Jesus, we invite you into that relationship and joining in the celebration that, that we were able to do today. He wants to change your life. And we would love for you to experience that, about giving your life over to him, letting him clean you because you came to him. You don't have to get clean to go to him. He does the work for you. And that's the great story of the gospel. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning about anything, our encounter room, which is to my left towards the back, is available. There'll be people in there that will be glad to pray with you and talk with you about whatever's upon your heart. Having said that, for those of us who are in Christ, I just want to say it's been fun to be in his house, his church, celebrating the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ.
So this concludes our service, but our team will see us out the door. So enjoy as they play, but you are dismissed. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is a mighty king. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy of our praise. Worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance. Let the people sing. Worthy is the 